Hey everyone. So it turns out that I have been accidentally inflating my podcast episode numbers. So while last week I announced the Alec Toller episode as episode 69, it was actually episode 68. This episode is actually 69. So welcome to episode 69 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. You know, if you enjoy the podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a comment or rating on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use. Comments really help people find the show. If you want to drop me a line, you can uh, find me on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. This episode is my conversation with Benjamin Blaze and the cast of Tough Jews. Benjamin was the founding artistic director of the Storefront Theater and is the director of Storefront Theater and the Spadina Avenue Gang's production of Michael Ross Albert's Tough Jews. Also joining us for the conversation are cast members Blue Bigwood Malin, Louis Fernandez, G. Kyle Sheeds, and Stephen Joff. Tough Jews opens March 31st and runs to April 16th at Kensington Hall in Toronto. Much, much tough well, Jews. let's start with the play. Let's start with the play. We can talk about actual tough Jews then. Uh, well, this play is a world premiere production of Michael Ross Alberts. Uh, he's a playwright, a young playwright here in in Toronto, and uh, he's you know he's published. He studied in New York. This play he's been workshopping for about eight years. I saw a reading of it, gosh, maybe four or five years ago. When it was almost an hour longer, and uh, and I, you know, I saw that it had something really interesting in it, uh, to it, something very compelling, <laughs> uh, and and I was fascinated by it. But it seemed so far away. And then, you know, I started to get to know Michael a little bit more. We were doing more productions. Our 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 machine became more uh, um, efficient, and so I felt like this was a really good time to uh, to bring this play to light. Uh, so it's always been. So it's been in sort of the back of my mind, like, oh, that's a really cool play about interesting stories that happened in our backyard, our our history, Toronto's history. It'd be great to see that play done. And then when Michael uh, submitted it for the storefront season, um, I was like, this is gangbusters, great. And then he, he called me and asked me if I would be interested in directing it, to which I, I was incredibly honored. So, uh, so I jumped on it. Mm. Yeah. Was it the stories like this this part of Toronto's story that you didn't know before? Is that what you saw in it, or was there something else that, that, that sort of like you said that there were, you saw something? Was it, 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 it was that it was the, it was that that uh, quintessential gangster story that we hear often happening in Harlem or New York City, but it was here in our world and, and in a place like Kensington Market, which I have lived in, I have worked in, right? So uh, and always always seen such an eclectic and fascinating spirit in that neighborhood mm-hmm. that it was such a uh, such an exciting opportunity to be able to like explore one of those stories and I honestly feel like we as Canadians we have so many of these great gritty stories in our history that we tend not to tell you know the CBC shies away from it and, mm-hmm. and uh, yet they're there and they're they're, they're luscious so it was uh, I was really uh, 
excited to be able to to dive into it and, and, and flesh out this story and these characters. I think it's one of those uh, Canadian things that we don't like our own stories unless yeah. they're told to us by somebody from outside. Right. Um, and then, but this story is like right. This is a downtown Toronto story. The, the is it the 1920s, 1930s? Yeah, the first act takes place in 1929, and the second act takes place in 1933. Mm. Both times in our history where there was crazy things happening in, in our city, some of which people don't even know about. You know, mm. in, in the second act, uh, incidents, the character, this, the, the, the story surrounds the incidents at Christie Pitts, the riot. Yeah. And when ta- talking to some people about the play, they're like, what, what riot? Yeah. Christie Pitts and it's so wild to me that something like that had happened hundreds of people rioting for three days and now we don't we don't know about it anymore. but it's funny because if you talk to anyone in the Jewish community they'll be like oh yes the riot and everyone's got a story right 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 yeah um, what is what is everybody's at the table everybody's uh, uh, connection to the story like I don't know everybody's background because it's a play about tough Jews mm-hmm. Uh, what's the connection that everybody has? Everybody have a grandmother. Like, everybody to, everybody to me, uh, I, you know, I'm the director so of the play, can. and I, uh, my, I'm not, I'm not Jewish, but I am um, ultimately fascinated by the cultures of the world, regardless of what they are. I, I have a ton of, uh, of of Jewish friends, and I've been invited to seder's, and um, my connection to it is is the. The people in this family, and so it's not, it has nothing necessarily to do with the cultural aspect of who these people are. But you know, um, Jewish people love stories, and, and this is a great story, and so you know, it all kind of ties in. Sure. Um, but yeah. Let's go around. Yeah. Um, well, my family, uh, one side of my family, actually were Jews from Eastern Europe that uh, fled the pogroms and came to Canada uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, they went to live up in uh, Kirkland Lake in northern Ontario. Um, so my connection to this show, and a lot, I think a lot of the anger and the desperation I got through just talking to my relatives, my dad, my great aunt, um, and some of the hardships they had to face. A number of them were actually involved in small-time crime in Montreal um, until they managed to make a business that was profitable enough and then sell it out and then move on. And now we're the kids of those people who grew up in these very desperate circumstances. I mean, my dad used to work in a coal mine when he was 14 years old uh, and got the, you know, got beat up all the time because he was the only Jewish kid. Uh, so from a young age, I was always told those stories about just how desperate things were for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm the fraud in the show. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, You're not the only one. Yeah, but I, so I'm not actually Jewish, but what's interesting to me about the story, which I, I mean, I'm an actor as an Italian-Portuguese background, um, and for me, um, you know, I always want to play, I guess that's when you, I started an actor, I want to play characters like this, like mafia characters, which got me into acting in the first place, and then the first chance I get, it's the Jewish mafia, not the mafia, which is interesting. Uh, but I do think that what's weird for me is that I still feel very connected to it because my own father is from Portugal, he's an immigrant, um, and the stories that surround this play about sort of like growing up in a place that doesn't accept you. Uh, my father used to be in like a, the way he tells it. I'm not sure how accurate his stories are, but <laughs> but he was all con- he didn't speak a lick of English, um, and he was like thrust into the school system in Toronto. And people, he wasn't even sure necessarily to be made fun of. I'm sure he was, 
but people would talk to him because he didn't understand them. We just start a fight. Like he just fight them, you know. Um, <laughs> and so his whole experience is like it's so similar to a lot of the stories in this. So I don't feel like I'm completely out to lunch, but um, that's definitely what drew me to the to this play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I my family's Jewish. Uh, my mother's side ended up in Montreal by way of Shanghai uh, because when we had to escape the pogroms and everything, everyone kind of went in every direction. Mm-hmm. So we ended up in Montreal from kind of like Poland, Russia, Shtetl area. Uh, and then on my father's side, uh, we ended up in Mexico, actually, because at the time, uh, Canada really didn't want very many Jews, uh, and neither did America. But Mexico was pretty much down to take whoever wanted to come by. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and then my, my, my parents ended up meeting in Montreal uh, when my father's in medical school. Um, but, yeah, I mean, in so many ways this story, it, it's a Jewish story, but it's also primarily it's an immigrant story and it's a family story. Um, it's about this family of people, um, Defending their home? I don't know. Um, yeah, so so that that's kind of my relation to it. I got roped into it because uh, Ben uh, talked me into it at a party. I was very drunk. He goes, all right, lights up. Bang! You shoot someone right there. End of act one. Well, I, I shouldn't give it Don't give it away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually also got cast in this show at a party with... Ben drunkenly yeah, grabbing me and pulling me into an alleyway. Funny. I mean, like, I want you in this, okay? Yeah. Better than an audition. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. You know, in a way, like, when people are in, in repose, I get to watch them. I get to watch them work a room, and I get to watch them as 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 creatures exhibit, you know, themselves in a, in a, in a moving and, and real space. You know, when you... <laughs> When you host auditions, it's such a such a facade. Yeah, so, uh, so it's so I you know I, I I people get on my radar from the auditions, but I, I usually will approach them in casual settings where where they know, can't I, fight back. Where they, where they can't fight back. <laughs> <laughs> but also 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 where where you know where you where you see them as they truly are, and and I see things in them that I'm like, okay, well this this is this is what we want, mm-hmm. you know. In the play, the, the the play that we're doing, where we pretend like it's real life, so I want you to. This is this guy over here, uh, and then you know, to me, this this craft is is rooted in its sense and power of community, right? So here we are at a function where you're shooting ideas around, and it's you know, there's liberal exploration of, of, of your rhetoric, and so here we are. This is what we we're going to create. Also, when you rehearse a play, you you spend six weeks together, yeah, right. So yeah. is this person fun to hang out with? <laughs> are they gonna are they gonna play with yeah. us, right? Uh, I think another thing that brought me to the show was uh, that it just feels like, I mean, I kind of signed on to it before the world started. It feels like regressing. I think yeah. we can all say that pretty clearly. But mm-hmm. it, it just, with every day that passes, it feels more and more like a necessary story. Uh, I think we're forgetting uh, the path that things take. Uh, and it's in, in a lot of ways, uh, history is, can be seen to be repeating itself. I'm very tired. I'm gonna. No, no, it's true. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think you're actually you're, you're sort of hitting the nail on the head about what's happening in the world right now. Yeah, that's what glommed me onto the show mm. originally. Yeah. After reading the script, it was like, and then kind of world events started unfolding, and I was like, repetition of history. Yeah. Mm. When, when you guys started working on this, was this like started talking about like who was going to be involved? Is this pre? 
November pre-election. It was, yeah, uh, for 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 a lot of people. Some of us came in afterwards, um, but we've been prepping this show since uh, the spring of last year. So watching the course of world events unfold, the relevancy of this piece was becoming really potent. Right? Yeah. And like Jesus. Wow, a hundred years ago, things were the same. The the xenophobic tendencies of of our governments, right? Like the you're seeing it happen again. Yeah. The the you know the anti-Semitism that was experienced a hundred years ago is being reflected in the in the in the Islamophobia yeah. that we're yeah. seeing today. Um, wow, you know, with all the information that we have, it's 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 so crazy to think that we can't we can't see our own natures in front of ourselves. It's astounding to think that 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 we have come almost full circle from like what birthed the, the World War II to, mm. to now and yeah. seeing like the same attitudes happening again in our backyard. Yeah, and you can't like, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost so ridiculous like someone wrote it down and it's a bad musical. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, it's real life. This well, is yeah. like if I wrote this like a year ago, then this is what... Yeah, they'd be like, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's too on the nose. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, we were rehearsing in here when there was a bomb threat at the JCC just down the street. Yeah, right. I mean, it, yeah. it's yeah. really just, it was such a clear, it was like our second rehearsal. And it was just such a clear mm -hmm. showing of like how much these issues just are still mm -hmm. in our society so clearly. Yeah, they're still playing swastikas on synagogues in Ottawa and yeah. in Etobicoke. And in the beaches. Well, it still happens here. Yeah. 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 Every, every synagogue in the city has a, has a security guard who's watching over there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy when I, I think when Michael wrote the play, it, it, he did, wouldn't have known that that, no. rather, we reference a bunch of, okay. a bunch of times in the play. Now they're putting out swastika and now that's happening again, which yeah. is yeah, crazy. It was just under the surface the whole time. Yeah, so back then they could say, "Oh no, no, no! That's we have no Nazi affiliation. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a symbol of good luck. That's right. all it is." But people are still trying to pull that. Yeah, with the Pepe the Frog yeah. thing too that yeah. they have. There's like lots of symbols that. Yeah. 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 The staging of this show. This is not like a uh, sit in the audience and watch it play out on a on a on a raised stage. This is like sort of an immersive in the round kind of thing. Was it written that way or is that how you've chosen to? No, it wasn't necessarily written that way. Uh, I guess it could be staged, you know, in a proscenium, however you like. This, it, it was originally slated to go up at the Storefront Theatre's location at 955 Bloor Street uh, and then, you know, due to you know, <laughs> progress, whatever, that, that space is no longer exists. Um, uh, Gentrification. Gentrification. Um, so what's happening now is, is almost serendipitous in the sense that we've found a place in Kensington Market where this ostensibly could have really happened. It's, you know, it's a, it's a basement that used to be a booze can mm. that two people have died in over the course of its history, <laughs> right? Um, there, so there are legit ghosts. Like, this could be the place that the booze can yeah. was. So th there's an aspect that I had wanted to do, regardless whether where, wherever it was where I wanted to do this play, uh, in, a, in a photorealistic um, mm -hmm. design sort of world. And so now there's an, there's an added element that like you'll, you'll be literally in the place where this could have happened. You're going to walk down this graffiti-covered alleyway, turn a corner, and go back in time 100 years. We have this set design uh, by Adam Belanger, who's just a genius, very detailed, tons of, full of Easter eggs and, 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 and really rich detail. So you as an audience member will truly feel like, wow, I'm being transported back in time. You'll watch the course of events unfold for this family, bear witness to some, you know, some pretty crazy shit, 
and then walk back out into today's world mm. and be like, wow, here I am, like stepping through the veil of time. Mm. And rather than it being in Bloor Court and you're like, oh, yeah, the market, that's neat. You'll actually come out into the market. And then I just feel like that that'll wash over people in such a powerful way where they'll look around and, and, and say like, holy shit, this yeah. really could have happened. And uh, yeah. as far as promotion goes, uh, we have a photographer named John Gandhi who's done an incredible job uh, recreating these historical photos and yeah. uh, putting us into them. So we had a whole day in Kensington Market where we, we went out and we did a photo shoot and he would take a photo from the history, of the Jewish history of uh, Kensington Market, and he'd say, and I'm going to put you two in like this. So we'd find our position mm-hmm. from the, the same street corner where this photo was taken, mm-hmm. and, we, and then, uh, so that'll be part of the promotional material for mm-hmm. it. And I wanted to add, Isabel, like, about the idea of not uh, having it this sort of close quarters. I think it's almost essential. I mean, maybe it wasn't necessary in the writing, but these sort of stories, we, we normally get them through film that has the a wide array of tricks to make you in the moment. I think that to have the visceral experience that film has for like a mafia s- a story of this sort, I think that it's necessary mm-hmm. to bring people in because yeah. people, you know, they're used to seeing this with like, I can follow the bullet, go in bullet time through, and we need to compete with that as artists, as theater artists. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's another element. And, and this- There's also a separation. When we're watching TV or a movie, we're sitting very comfortably and it's like there's this screen between us and the mm-hmm. action yeah. and theater brings us more into it but then to have it all around us mm-hmm. and more immersive there's no sa- it's almost like there's no safety there yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's great. well theater you know theater I put my butt right in their faces <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's gonna be all around them yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, uh, you know, you, you're, you hit the nail on the head. This sort of immersive quality that we want to create. I was saying to the designers, I want the audience to literally feel like flies on the wall. And the strange footprint that we have in this space is forcing us to stage it in what you know. I guess you could call a thrust formation. It's not quite around, but you will be. Like really close to the action, which does allow the players to capture a more filmic quality mm-hmm. uh, with their performances, which also allows them to, to sort of to play in the, the nuances of what's going on. The subtext can really live. It doesn't have to be so telegraphed. And, and I think that if it was sort of removed, for a little further removed, yeah, the, 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 the piece wouldn't have as much power because you'd have to telegraph so much more. Like the, these guys, they don't, have to, they don't have to yell. They don't have to, you know, a little... It can be like watching a movie because you're so close to them and also as you say it's true like in, in the medium of film you're so far removed it's a passive entertainment like theater part of its joy is that you as an audience member are complicit to what you see on stage mm-hmm. you know there's some violence in this play where if you saw that at a bar would you jump up and stop it but here yeah you can't but you're so close that you have to you have to suffer it with yeah. them and it yeah, makes we, you uh, it really includes you in it like you when you go to see a play you have to really agree with yourself that I'm going to immerse myself in this I'm going to enjoy it and so we're going to meet them even even closer than halfway and really yeah. put them like right there on the yeah. wall I would wear, wear a poncho <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to head out thank you thank you very much or, or lead actor as a hot date <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> we'll see about that one. Um, it's no. a lie. He doesn't have a date at all. He's going to work. He's, he's going he's gonna to go work on his lines. Making the money. He's yeah. going to go work on his lines. Do the grind. He's got a date with the play and his homework. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Bye, Kyle. Um, what a great guy. guy. Yeah, I like that guy a lot. Now that he's gone, though, here's some salacious details. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me tell you about Kyle. Um, just, I like to start at, at this side and sort of go 
just uh, to the other side and and of the the line of people that I have here. Uh, and the question that I, one of the questions that I always ask people when I'm when I'm doing these 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 conversations is what is it that 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 brought you to theater? Ah, so I want to start with that. We'll start okay, with that. Uh, so. <laughs> I really like when people look at me. (laughs) (laughs) Totally honest, man. I love attention. Uh, I used to have a lot more, like, you know, meaningful answers, but it's all bullshit. I just really like attention. Um, I do a lot of different things. I'm also uh, I'm a, a, a writer, a creator. I'm, I'm a musician. I have a band called Birds of Bellwoods. I like being on stage. I like uh, cathartic, direct experiences. Uh, I think I'm good at it. So, you know, I don't have a university degree, so I might as well continue on this train. Uh, I, just, I found theater when I was... When I was uh, seven, I was in a kindergarten class, and these people came in, and they were, like, looking for someone to be in this movie, and they hadn't found this kid yet, and they were like, oh, he has red hair. We don't have one of those. Um, So I ended up going in for the audition. I didn't get the part, but I got representation, and I loved it, because everyone was like, oh, what are you? Just talking to me and asking me questions, and I'm the youngest of four, so, you know, that, that was refreshing, to say the least. Uh, and that, but I, I only really did film and television, and then it was in high school that I ended up in a Canadian stage production uh, of Wild Dogs, and uh, I was working with Tony Napo, who I'm sure you know, and like yeah, I was like 16, and he was like you know punching the wall and like oh feelings and art and like it was just this whole like it was like oh this is where the cool kids hang out you know he's like give me rides home and like bum me a cigarette and I thought it was thought it was so boss and I was like oh film and television is full of people like jogging and eating walnuts and this is like, this is like, so, so I, I was like that's cool and I applied for National Theater School and I got in and I you know and I I also like. I don't know if I'm rambling, but I, I, I also feel like I really discovered my genuine love of theater after I started playing music with my band mm-hmm. because there was something before then that was kind of still hanging on of film and television for me where I felt like I had to block certain things out. And then when I started playing music with my band on a stage, I just like, I, was, I was able to look people in the eye and just really be like, hey, you're in this room, I'm in this room, let's have an experience together. And then since then, it's just like all the muscles that used to tense in me just kind of drift mm-hmm. away. And now I just feel like, uh, yeah, I, we just create this cathartic experience and uh, we all, you know, we share that. Cool. Yeah. It's a bit tough on the top. Um, <laughs> for me, I guess for me, like um, in high school specifically, um, I was sort of that guy, that youth that had all the potential in the world, but I didn't give a shit. School was just sort of like a stop gap between me getting back to the N64, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, it, to be honest, and I was like a bit of a class clown. I was more, I was more interested in sort of making my friends laugh or, or just sort of drawing the pull of the teacher's authority to me. Like, that was what I always did. And um, the drama class that I went in, was I was told it was a bird course. That's what I was told. That's what we called it back then, the Genos. Back then, it's a bird dated, course, bro. You certainly dated yourself no, with the yeah. N64. <laughs> It's just easy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that. And then, like, suddenly, like, the, the shit that was getting me in trouble, suddenly I was, like, like the man. Like, I'm fucking killing it in this class. You know what I mean? 
Um, and so it kind of ended with my teacher at the end of the year being like, I, I studied this. She helped, she got me to like start a drama club and stuff. And I did, I was never doing anything like that before. I was like, why am I here after classes are done? Like, this is fuck. <laughs> um, and, and so then like from there, she said, you know, at the end of the year, she was like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to uh, get you to go to the Tarragon spring training program. Every drama teacher gets to nominate one person to go to this thing. And I was like, oh, in the summer, what? I have to be in theater all summer. I, I was like, not down at all. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was like 16 or whatever, and my mom were like, "You got to do this, Kemp. You were selected. You were chosen." And I was like, "Ah!" So I like went to like the library and I got like a monologue book and I picked a monologue and I didn't know who wrote it or where it was from. <laughs> and I go to ta- I went to Tarragon and Tarragon's is fucking you know it's stately to, to say the least. And then I was like this big fucking wooden door and I was like, "I don't. I'm not doing this." And I was gonna leave. I, I legitimately was going to leave. And then I got like sort of door swung up. Are you here for the auditions? I was like, I guess. And then I went in, um, and there's this guy. I think his name is John Winters. I don't know if he's still an actor. Who, where he's what happened to him? But he's just like this like prototypical actor sort with like the the long mulletish hair and like wearing a black turtleneck. And he had like a portfolio, which like I was like, what? Like, and he was just the most confident guy in the room. And he's just like, yeah, this could be fine, man. You'll be fine. Goes in, he's screaming, banging on the wall. I don't know what the fuck he was doing in there, but I knew he was gonna get in. Um, and then I went in, and I just fucking had the worst audition of my life. I blanked. The woman was like, so, Sarah Stanley. I, 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 <laughs> and she's like, so, uh, what do you, uh, do you, do you play any instruments? No. Do you sing? No. Have you been in production before? No. Have you been in film? No. I was like, okay, what's your monologue? For, uh, what's your monologue? I'm like, um, do you know who the playwright is? No. What's it from? It's from a monologue book. Okay. Okay, we'll go. And so I'm just like, I'm standing there, and I, I blanked horribly, and I... Did it again and blanked and did it again and I blanked. I started to get real mad. I was like, fuck! Like I was screaming. I was like, no! Like, okay, calm down. We don't know what, who the playwright is. We don't, we don't know what play it is. So really, if you know it and we know you know it, just if you get into a stumble, just, just do what you got to do. Just get through it. And that kind of gave me this confidence and I did it. Um, and then I, you know, I, I, I didn't have to ad-lib that time. I actually got through it. I was like, well, that was a great director. Uh, and I left there feeling a piece of shit. And I was like, well, that was a fucking debacle. I was mad at my parents. I'm like, why would you tell me to do that? Um, and then a few days later, I get a message saying, you got in. <laughs> and I was like, and I just knew in that moment, it's like, I did not select this. It has selected me. I'm not, I don't even have any interest in this. And suddenly I'm in it. And I think that was for me. That's where it all began. And. My whole life from up to that point now is like, I can't imagine who I'd be without it. This is like what I do, fucking warts and all. I have no money and it's fucking mm. tough. And uh, <laughs> that's what I do. So that, that's how it all began. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, um, Blue just wandered in here. On the- I, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I was sleeping in the studio and they just kind of found me here. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I was like very, very young when I decided I wanted to do theory things. I was always a very introverted kid, but I really liked movies. And uh, my stepdad was this huge movie buff, and he like made me watch like Pulp Fiction when I was like nine years old because it was a really good film. Uh, and so I watched Me, Myself, and Irene with Jim Carrey, uh, which isn't a very good movie at all. <laughs> but I watched it uh, as a kid, and I remember he's doing this scene where he keeps switching personalities. And watching it, I was just like, I want to be able to do that. So I, uh, I joined this community arts thing on Toronto Island, uh, where I grew up, and um, it was like stilt walking and like carabana style art, so my first role ever, I was a, a fish on stilts. I had this big fish hat that I made, and I'd, and I'd walk around on stilts for a couple hours, 
Uh, and then from there, I like got into an improv club on the island. Uh, I went to uh, Rosedale Heights for the arts. That's where I went. And no shit. Yeah, I did. Went for my yeah, final year. Yeah. It's a good school. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I got into improv really in high school. I had always liked doing stage stuff. I just sort of found my way into improv. Uh, did the like Canadian improv games. We went to Ottawa. It was like best experience of my teenage life. Going out there for this like big stage with a bunch of people, having people laugh at you. Uh, and they had a good drama program there as well. Uh, but I like never landed any big stuff in high school, anything like that. I was getting all uh, prepped to be an engineer, um, and I was doing all of the proper math courses and everything like that. And then uh, the time came for selecting a university program, and I, I talked to my drama teacher, and she was just like, I don't know, I think you could do this, and you won't regret it, and York has a good program, uh, and both my parents taught there, so I got to go for free. Uh, <laughs> I'm still paying my York the, like degree yeah, right now. Uh, so, I, uh, so yeah, I just kind of selected it. I didn't audition anywhere else. I just auditioned at York, uh, got in, and then uh, went through that whole program, and now I'm here. <laughs> nice. Benjamin. Um, well... I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, and I guess I learned at a very young age there is no better way to galvanize a community than through powerful platform. You know? So uh, when I was younger, there was this, uh, like, uh, we had this sports day or something. And I was, uh, you know, it was a great... I think I was 10 or 11, grade 5, grade 6. And they, 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 they separated the school into colors. There's the red team, the blue team, and the, and the yellow team. And it was, a, it was, a, it was a, an event that, like, we'd all, all the grades would come together. It was like a, you know, sort of team-building exercise. And, and one of the first things they did is they, they said to us, okay, each of the colors, you've got to figure out your, um, your, your, you know, your, your, your team chant or whatever. You could do a little show to stoke your team up. And, and I volunteered to be the, sort of the mascot or whatever. And... and um, you know, I, I recognize that, you know, I made people laugh and we, you know, we brought our whole blue team together, you know, we created some chants and everyone, uh, then, then I was on the map, you know, I, I, I became, I became a part of the community, became a, 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 a person of interest who, who could, you know, who had, you know, political clouds and who could, who could affect change. And, and then I began to recognize the, 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 the power of, of community and how creating shows is such a great way to bring people together. You know, the, 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 the creative teams that, that, that generate the work and all the great stories and relationships that form out of that and the people that bear witness to the work and, and have a, a shared experience um, through that. And, and it's, it's, really, uh, it's really rewarding to stand at the back of an auditorium where you're watching a show that's got 20 people in it and another 100 people watching it, and they're all together, and they're all doing the same thing, and they're all enjoying it together. And, um, and there's something really, really, really wonderful about that. I, I of course, love the attention. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's all. We all can agree to that. We all love a lot of people looking at us. Yeah, yeah. But but for for me, it was it was. You know, I I you know I wanted to be an actor for a long time, and 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 then was sort of frustrated with the concept. You know, looking at some of my other artist friends, you know, the 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 musician can can play alone. The the visual artist can can paint that masterpiece alone. The writer can create their own work to. To be a part of, uh, to be an actor, to be a part of, of the theater, you need 
others around you to help you create it. But mm-hmm. through that, there is something um, you you create these these lifelong friendships, and mm-hmm. and and it, and it's important. And you know, being an actor and doing these auditions and and hawking you know garbage products on television for for money, it's like rolling the dice. And you think to yourself, you're like, I'm spending all of this time and energy, but what am I doing for the world? What am I doing for society? And so here was an opportunity for me to create something that was actually bringing people together that can affect change that has created opportunities for others and created opportunity for myself and 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 to me that's uh it's really profound one of the things that that storefront has i think does is is um create uh, a great venue for communities to form Mm -hmm. uh with the uh the sing for your supper and just Mm -hmm. the 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 indie artists that that come together and and a number of the other uh the, the 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 playwrights even things like yep. that, just to just to put all that together. So I think that 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 you found like the successful. Totally. I mean, I created all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seeing for your supper was generated because I wanted to create a collaborative networking environment. You know, I was a young artist. I wanted to meet more young artists, and I had been to a number of readings where, yeah, you'd read this play, and then it would be adjudicated in this really sort of formal way, and then people would walk away without any, with, without knowing each other. So we created that event. It was also to create a monthly event that would sort of keep us on the radar because at yeah. that time we were only producing maybe one or two shows a year. Mm-hmm. But then I recognized, oh, by creating this community event I'll be able like we'll be able to to announce our projects and always check in with people the, the storefront theater was birthed out of uh, you know uh, this not necessity but I, I wanted to put on a show uh, there was a show I never directed before I wanted to direct a play called wait until dark by Frederick Knott, which is this gripping thriller uh, and it was in our mo back then to go and sort of pop up in these locations it was cheaper for us to do than renting a theater plus you could like have your own sort of stamp on the on the city like yeah we built this place and we used to set up and then disappear like the circus but mm-hmm. in in the case of the storefront we built this we ran the show it's very successful more artists were like hey what is this place I want to create here too so I recognized an opportunity for the community so here okay we'll we'll I turned to the group and I was like, I think we should change our model and you know and, and create some roots, create a create a uh, an HQ, mm-hmm. and so we did that. And then the playwright unit again was was uh, was created because as as we were presenting work in the storefront theater, we came to realize that that uh, what we needed to do was to begin generating the work, really fostering the the social capital here in our city. Right? Like, yeah, you wrote a play, great. Let's take that. Let's let's give it credence, let's give it shape, let's give it validity, and then put it up into the world. So all of those things um, sort of, they, they grew organically, but they grew in, in from that place of like, let's bring it together, but like, let's all bring it together and then remind ourselves that this is a legitimate thing. You guys all went to theater school, you paid a lot of money for it, right? You, these are marketable skills you have. It's hard because you can't do it alone. It's hard to take that step from like just doing shows in your backyard for your friends and family to doing it for people that regard it as as as, as actual product. Yeah. To re- re- remind the actors, remind the artists that like what your work is valued. Mm-hmm. You know, we we we're sort of in a we're sort of in a in a corner we as artists because we we have it inside us. We need to create, so we'll do it anyways. And it kind of it sort of undercuts us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's important to to find like minded people who wanna who want to help you actualize yourself and say, yes, this is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, if I can go off of that, mm-hmm. like the, the sort of if you build it, they will come thing is so true. Because um, I think that all these things start with I have an idea and I want to, and then and then suddenly you open up a space. And you realize that you need it, and so does everybody else. And I think that was like the 
most telling thing. I, I did the Unit 102 space in Parkdale, and it was like I had no designs when opening it to make it like a hub for the community at the time. It just I simply wanted to have a place to do my stuff, right. and I was shocked at how desperately it was needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what all the storefront theaters it's about. It's a, it's it, it all starts with I have an idea, and then suddenly you realize so do a lot of people, and they yeah. need someone to do it. And I think that way, I, I, don't, I don't speak for you, but I, I, I'd imagine like when you when I was doing it, it was sort of like. You doubt that people like people are doubting you before it happens, but then when it starts to happen, it snowballs, mm-hmm. and then people don't yeah. start to d- 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 they don't start to like think it's a wild idea anymore. Now it exists. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it just takes the balls to say I'm going to do I'm it. Going to do it, mm-hmm. and that's the only you know, the and follow thing. it through, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Mm-hmm. It ain't easy. If I mean, if it was easy, everybody would be doing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, there is a hunger for for space. Yeah. In, yeah. In this city, and, and I think in most cities. Oh man, our spaces were were overbooked. Yeah, you know, we we, had, we would we'd have to spread it around. Like, totally. you, need, you need people. Yeah, I'd be like, hey, man, <laughs> I can send people down to Unit yeah. Two and vice versa because we're like, shit. Yeah. There's so many people that have a show that they want to. And then suddenly you get squeezed out. You're like, I have no time for my show now. Yeah. It's like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. Like, it's know, like, right? yeah. What so. about my what about Christmas sandwich the musical? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, I, I remember Part two? years ago, being, <laughs> like the only spaces that I could that you could get would be like to rent a. Fact Factory, mm-hmm. Tarragon, yeah. a Passmerai, mm-hmm. or if you didn't mind that the media wouldn't come, a theater of the university. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and there's just a need for, for all these places. Now, the unfortunate thing is that, that these many of these places, like, like Storefront, like Unit 102, they're they're shutting down. They're shutting down. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, this is, you know, it's, as we were talking about history repeating itself in the play, the history repeats itself in the microcosm of our city. When I was coming up, and the reason why we were doing these sort of site-specific shows is because a number of these indie spaces had shut down. We're standing in the old uh, Poor Alex the Theater, Poor Alex. Yeah. right? That had shut down. The Art Word, which was down at King in Portland, shut down because they put a condo there. Mump and Smoot had this great place. I remember that, remember that place? Yeah, above a little lighting fixture store on DuPont. And shut down. Like, all of these tiny little spaces shut down. So again, yeah, the only place to rent was the Tarragon. It's too expensive for a nascent company and nobody's going to take a risk on them the media's not going to come we don't want to spend more like the first show I put up I think cost 800 bucks right Uh, and so that you know I feel like that's going to happen again and there's a new generation of of young people I mean I don't want to sound like I'm I'm tired but like um, but we've we've done that we we, we put a good run in We, we reminded people that's this is important. You guys need spaces. And already I know that there's a number of people who are popping up spaces and it'll grow again. And what I think needs to happen is, is that, yeah, there's a, there's a glut so that we're forced to recognize the value. It's happening to the music industry too, yeah. right? They shut down the oh, Silver shit, Dollar, yeah. the Oak yeah. Room, or the Holy Oak. They, I mean, uh, they shut down so the many. Central, Soy Bomb, the Hoxton, yeah. All of these places where stuff. artists are able yeah. to cut their teeth yeah. are gone. That being said, the artists, it's not like the artists are, are toothless now and they'll just mm-hmm. gum it up till the end of, no way. No, they're they're going to start, they're gonna start playing on street corners, rooftops, they're going to start carving it out and, and, It'll help separate the wheat from the chaff because the people that really need to create will create, and that work will be mm-hmm. will be good. It will be. It'll come from a place that really needs to happen. Yeah. There will be no laissez-faire. It was, it was. It's sad though because I just did a show about Parkdale, um, and what was sort of gleaned because we had to do a bunch of interviews for this sort of project we were doing, and the artists go somewhere because they need to go somewhere, 
and suddenly they're the seed that brings gentrification. Somehow yeah, you're that, responsible yeah, yeah, yeah. for fucking this area up. Yeah. Although, you, you know, it's, a, <laughs> well, it's this it's weird a, cycle. It's, you it's know, a like, poor neighborhood, and then it's an arts neighborhood, and then it's a cool neighborhood, and then it's a rich neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. yeah and, it's, yeah. and it's, it's, it's a snake eating its own tail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's happened in Parkdale. It's happening in, in, in Hamilton. You ever, yes. I have a bunch of friends who have gone down there. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have gone there, and, you know, Hamilton is saying, you know, art is the new steel is their unofficial motto. But that's just for the... It opens on March 31st and runs until April 16th, Wednesday through Saturday at 8 p.m. And then we have Sunday matinee at 2 p.m. Uh, on on uh, April fifth, I believe it is. There's a walking tour that is coupled with the show that you can purchase. So I believe the the uh, the Kensington Historical Society will walk you from I believe somewhere in U of T through like around Christie, walk you through all the spaces that we talk about, and it'll end at the show. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. So that's something you can find out the information on the website. It's uh, store the storefronttheater.com. WWW dot, I believe. Well, thank you so much, you guys. It's been, it's been a lot of thank fun. You. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having us and, and meeting the Wolfmans. Yeah. <laughs> Stern. Thank the Stern. He's, right? a, he's, he's a cousin. cousin. He's the cousin. He's a cousin. <laughs>